Welcome to the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 037. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Welcome back to the Veterinary Project Podcast. You know who's on here. Let's get rolling. Dr. I like I like the finger twirl, Jonathan. If anyone watching on video, that's good. Round us up. Round us up. Keep us on cue. We got a busy day ahead of us. Mike, what do you know? Well, that was a fun conversation. Um, as you get into the bio and that, obviously, we're talking about inventory today. Um, I what, didn't wait, wait think, just a second. You said inventory and, and fun together. I know that's what I'm saying. I, it was, it was a fun conversation. And you know, when you drill into some of these like nitty gritty details, uh, there's a lot of room to make significant improvements. And when you get people that are passionate in those areas, you know, they can make it easy on you. So that was a fun Indeed. conversation. Yep. I completely agree. Yep. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you before we get rolling into this, you sent me a text, your building permit officially stamped, your veterinary clinic uh, in, in Calgary is, is moving ahead. So fill us in on that quickly. That's correct. Yes. So we got the, the first building permit, which is the permit to be able to do the construction that we've been waiting to do here now for a little bit. Uh, very briefly, don't do it on your own. Uh, this is a team there is a full team that's been involved right from the start from designers to then an additional designer and now a construction company. Uh, really great to have that team imparted. And yeah, now it's full, full bore head. We've got a very, very tight construction window. Uh, COVID's not making it easier. Uh, Instagram, we're going to show some of those updates as they come along. So really excited uh, at the same time, really finalizing contracts with team members right now, as we speak, equipment's ordered, the logistics behind the scenes are uh, but again, that's not me just doing it whatsoever. That's team. And did, I love that part. Did the permit take longer than you expected? Considering COVID right now, I actually think it took less time. So we needed a development permit in order to change the setup for that building to have a vet clinic. That one took a little while, but in the big scheme of things, because we had our ducks in a row, our schematics were such, and we were pretty tight. We'd, we'd spent our time. It came through relatively short. Nice. Sometimes that can be you know, out of your control. I've done projects where it sits on someone's desk at city hall and they're on holidays and they're the only person that can stamp that one piece of paper, you know, and you're just pulling your hair out, like, let's go, let's go. So just a word of caution for anyone. Once you get into building permits, it's, it's city by city. So that's correct. Yeah. My general contractor was on it. He knew the person at the desk that he needed to talk to and, you know, squeaky wheel gets the cheese i don't know what the gets the stamp in this case yeah that's right so no really exciting um yeah more to come on that and for sure a lot of info happening in life right now so but we've got more important things to talk about but before we go there quick tip nice you remembered this time i can't remember what episode it was you totally shafted me on my quick tip uh, my quick tip for the listeners today uh just a simple question to ask yourself it kind of comes up in this conversation. What is your willingness to accept change? You don't have to answer that out loud, just something to kick around in internally. Um, and I think you'll find in life, um, the more willing you are to accept change and embrace change, uh, the more, more successful you'll be and kind of navigate through, through challenges. So that'd be my quick tip. That's excellent, Mike. And from a conscious standpoint, it fits right into what our guest, Nicole Clausen, has done today. So Nicole 
has over 13 years of experience in the veterinary industry with over 10 years in small animal practice. She worked her way up from being receptionist, CSR, to operations manager in various clinics. She's the founder of Veterinary Care Logistics, a consulting firm specializing in inventory management for veterinary professionals. Veterinary Care Logistics it was born out of the demand by several industry leaders to utilize her inventory system as a model throughout the country. She specializes in helping veterinary teams create a streamlined and efficient inventory management system. Since inception, she's also authored several publications, including a controlled substance logbook, which we all need, and inventory policy and procedure manuals, we also need. She regularly speaks at different industry-sponsored conferences on inventory management and has created several online self-paced race continuing education inventory courses. In addition, she founded the Veterinary Inventory Strategy Network, an online network and community dedicated to inventory management. Originally from the Pacific Northwest, she now lives in Montana with her seven fur babies. When she's not working, Nicole loves traveling, snorkeling, reading, gardening, swimming, and enjoying all that Montana has to offer. We have a wide range in conversation, starting with her time in veterinary practice as a CSR, the juggle of that role, and then moving her way into the conscious thought of what it looked like to fill her soul and go into inventory management Again, niche area. She loves it. And you're really going to hear it in the dedication of her voice and the founding from an entrepreneurial spirit to what she now has with both veterinary care logistics as well as the veterinary inventory strategy network. There's there's something here for everybody to learn from. Listen in. Without further ado, Nicole Clausen. Welcome back. We are excited to have you on, Nicole, today. And thank you very much for joining us on the Veterinary Project Podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. We have a lot to talk about today, and we're going to get right into it. Uh, a little bit of a background for all our listeners as to um, how Nicole and I got introduced to each other is I actually started seeing your Instagram and your social media, I should say, platform really pop up within the veterinary space. And I said, went, what is this? I like inventory. There's actually somebody talking about inventory on social media. And then from there, I went, okay, I'll watch her for a little while, see what's going on, just like any other social media feed. And then I went to your website, Nicole. And one, very professionally done. It got me wrapped in. And before you know it, I was spreading it out to some of my team members. And now I have a couple of team members that are within your subscription service. I said, I've got to get this lady onto our podcast. Well, thank you so much for the support. I really appreciate it. I have quite enjoyed the social media adventure with inventory. <laughs> and we're going to have to get into that because uh, that is not, as Mike said in our, our pre-recording discussion, not something that normally comes out of somebody's mouth. So we've got to dive deep into that. <laughs> um but as a start, let's talk about early days in veterinary medicine. Uh, oftentimes on our podcast and, and within a community, we have a, a large number of veterinarians and veterinary technologists, but we've not actually had someone who started off in a veterinary CSR role uh, as reception. So tell us about what that looks like in terms of your uh, starting in veterinary medicine to where it's gotten you today. Sure. So that's a great question. So way back in the day, that's, I started as a CSR and it was in high school. I was like, oh, it's just a job to get me through high school and college. Well, you know, that turned out well, because <laughs> there's something about vet med once you're in it just kind of draws you in and keeps you coming back. So and I think my start as a CSR was very indicative of how it is to be in vet med because I literally, as a 16-year-old, my very first job, I was trained for like a day and a half and then like left for the wolves. And so that was really the only training I got. And but I fell in love with it. I love the connection of like meeting people and just getting to know them. And I think that has been the most incredible part about being a CSR. I mean, it's super hard, right? Especially when you have people like calling and screaming at you and they're like upset. But on the flip side, you have the opportunity to get to know people and almost become like a part of their family because you watch their puppies grow up. And I was doing it for so long that 
you know, I see them, their dogs as puppies or kittens, and then I would follow them through their lifespan, you know, and it was just such an incredible experience. And, you know, um, so I was born and raised in the north of Seattle, Washington. And when I was uh, for college, I moved out to Montana, a fairly small town. <clears throat> and people here, because it is a small town, like everyone knows you. And so like, you know, people would come up to me in the grocery store and they'd be like, Hey, how's it going? And they like want to tell me how like Fifi's doing. And like you watch their kids grow up and it's just like such a special thing, I think, you know, and that bond is just, um, you, I don't know it, many other industries where you can make that happen. And people rely on you as well. I always consider um, that front CSR role. Um, you are outside of the website or social media today. The first person that they see upon entry into the clinic mm -hmm. pre and post COVID. And you're also the last person that they see. So there is such an impact made with our front end teams. And I also find that many of the other team members have no idea how hard it is to actually <laughs> be a CSR and all of the different juggling that you have to do on a day-to-day -day basis, which okay. then kind of leads me to my next question for you is um, what happened to in your evolution, starting at 16, your first role, where did it go from there? And also what's some of the bad that comes in with that role? Cause it is a full encompassing one. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm the type of person that I love what I do. I love being in vet med and I like to like learn and challenge myself and grow. And so as you know, different areas of the practice needed help, I was like, Oh yeah, let me, I can help with that. Oh yeah. Let me help. And so I became, you know, it was like CSR and then lead CSR and then inventory manager. And then I started to take on more operations and social media and, um, you know, so it just kind of like built and grew and grew and grew and grew. Now, the hard part about that is it was so much of different aspects, right? You know, I'm a lead CSR. I'm also in charge of social media. I'm also in charge of inventory. And they use so many different aspects of your brain that it's hard to kind of like go from one to the other to the other. But, you know, that's, I guess, part of the, the fun and the challenge of it. Completely. And where did you find, um, because we did talk about this in the pre-recording that uh, burnout was a factor mm -hmm. in some changes that you need to make, make within yourself as well as your role. Uh, where did you find that you were focusing it in more and where was it being pulled away? Because CSR is really an all-encompassing. When you're at that front, you need to be focusing on the front. Yeah. And I think when I, you know, when I first started managing inventory, I didn't have dedicated time to manage inventory. And so I was literally up at the front desk receiving purchase orders. And, you know, I, there was like two workstations and I'd be on one workstation working with people, checking them in out. And then when I had one second to myself, I would be receiving purchase orders. And I think, you know, I think navigating that was very challenging and then adding in the, you know, social media where you have to be, you know, there's only so much, I guess, time and attention you can put towards different things. And I think maybe sometimes some people in your practice don't really understand and comprehend how much like dedicated time it takes, you know, to do a particular role well. And so, you know, that now that's why I'm such an advocate for having dedicated time to manage inventory, you know, so you're not managing it in between appointments, you know, trying to get to the next one or, you know, receiving purchase orders at the front desk, like in order to manage inventory well, we need that dedicated time. So I think there are going to be many people listening to this today that have no idea what managing inventory means. <laughs> Can you provide a brief summary, actually what that means? Yes, that is such a good question. Because I think sometimes when we think about what is inventory management, we think about more like order replenishment, right? Like you're just the order girl, right? But it is so much more than that, right? If you have a three, four, $5 million practice, they're probably quote unquote managing inventory anywhere from 700 to a million dollars of inventory every single year. And so what that means is to make sure, so 
you know, biggest high level is to, there's two goals, right? One, to make sure you have the supplies on hand to take care of your patients, make sure the hospital's functioning well, but also on the flip side is ensuring the profitability of your hospital and making sure your costs aren't too high. So it's like, we want to be stocked well, but we also don't want to be spending a ton of money and have these super high inventory costs. And so, you know, with that becomes managing the products, making sure they're moving and in and off the shelf in an appropriate time frame, all that other stuff. So it really becomes so much more than just ordering. It's really about truly managing the flow of products in and out of your practice while also looking at their cost and profit margins. Fantastic. We're going to jump back in that later in the discussion when we relate to your now full-time role. Mike, before I jump further ahead, I, anything there to jump into? Uh, just a, a comment, uh, two comments, I guess. Um, I really was smiling uh, back when you started and you said you were 16 and the bond you had with the people and the families. I feel like, you know, it's very well known and we always talk about um, the human animal bond and people loving their pets. And I, I fully agree with that. But in the vet clinic, that bond that forms a person to person through the pet, that becomes very rewarding. So I know following families through through their lifespan of their dog, it's so fun watching them grow up. So just a comment on that, because we, we don't talk about that very much. Um, and then I'm not sure if we're going to get into multitasking. Because uh, I mean, we were, we're kind of touching on that. And I'm thinking of every clinic I've worked in, I was laughing, the receptionist has the phone on their shoulder, a client in front of them. And there's a stack of dog food that they need to enter into inventory. And I'm just sitting there like, how can we expect them to do all of this well, all at the same time? So I'm excited to see as we dive into this. Excellent. So the impetus for diving into this, I think is really cool as well too, Nicole. So I want to go back to a pre-story that you shared with me earlier about uh, joining in on a local event as a speaker. Tell us about that because there's lots of people in our world that are still trying to figure out what they want to be, whether they're vets, techs already, they've got an entrepreneurial hint in them. Um, tell us about what your aha moment was. Sure. So I kind of like had this idea that I wanted to be an entrepreneur for kind of a long time, but I had no idea what that would look like. And so at this time, like in my journey, I had been managing inventory for a number of years and I had a really successful system that I was starting to help you know, other surrounding hospitals with. And I was actually asked to speak at an event several hours, you know, away um, about inventory management. And I got, I was nervous and I don't get too nervous on public speaking just because I don't know, I like to talk, I guess. And I, we had the event and you could see the look on people's faces. Like they understood it. They had a little bit more confidence, you know, and they felt like they know what they needed to do next. And I will tell you what, my soul was like lit on fire. I was like, this is what I was meant to do. Like, this is my purpose. This is my passion. And ever since like, I felt that moment, I was like, oh, I have to take this and run with it. And so that's what I did. And um, I'm so thankful that I still get that passion and that like soul is on fire every time I work with a client or every time I do an event. It's just really thankful to be doing what I do. And you can see your face light up even when you talk about that moment. And what I'm also really impressed with is there's lots of people that talk, but then you went and did it. Walk us through a little bit about that because you don't have a business background. You have a lot of grit, determination. There's some workhorse behind you is <laughs> what you'd said, you know, from your dad and family. Tell us what that process looked like to the inception now of your business. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things that I can attribute all of my stuff to is just grit and just making it happen. Cause I think there's one thing of just like, like you mentioned, just talking about it and thinking about it, but it's another to just do it. And I think you just have to like make that and have that faith in yourself. And I don't even know if I really had that much faith in myself, but I was like, I'm going to do this. Like, let's do this. And so I was like, okay. And so I just, each little decision I felt like I had to make 
that's, I just made sure that I made action on that, you know, and thinking about my why and my passion and my purpose, because I think I know that so clearly, it made my next action so much easier because I was like, okay, is this in line with my passion and my purpose? Is this in line with my bigger why? And if it was, I was like, let's do it. If it wasn't, I was like, "Mm, we don't maybe have to rush into that. And did you strategize and project manage it and schedule in terms of what your layout and your business and setup was, or was it as a base of growth from being a consultant, starting to work with different clinics and realizing, Hey, I need to have a platform that allows me to do this on a bigger level. Yeah. So it was actually, so I started working with people and then I realized the need. I was like, I put together like a five-year plan and I think I'm actually this is my four year anniversary today. So that's kind of crazy, oh. but <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, my five year plan was year five. I was going to be outside of clinics in Montana. Well, that st- happened in year one. So the um, demand grew so quickly that I was like, okay, I need to set up these systems. And so it's been a little bit of a reactionary process almost, but since you know, and now I have a team that allows me to kind of help be a lot more proactive about planning and setting up strategies. But when I first got started, it was very like, people are like, okay, like come help us. And I was like, ah, I need to like get things set up. So. Okay. So how did you walk through, tell us a little bit about how you walk through being that person on the ground in the clinic. It's a comfortable role. You're there, you're surrounded by your peeps. You're mm-hmm. in a clinic setting. Then you have to step away. You're on your own. There's no straight income coming in. And you've got this up and down now that's going, well, I think I've got it. I think I have my five-year plan. How did you, how did you basically pivot and turn both your mindset, which I'm even more important, I'm, I'm more interested in as compared to the business portion? How do you do it? That was a very challenging piece, you know, because, you know, I don't want to like toot my own horn, but like as a CSR, like as an inventory manager, I was really, really good at what I did. And so I got a lot of positive feedback, you know, kind of on a regular basis. I had that connection with people. I had this bond with people. And so to move then into my own role where it's like completely new was challenging, but I think it was, I actually have a lot of my old not consulting clients, but actually like patient clients, if that makes sense from the vet world, we're still connected on like social media and Facebook. And I'm still friends with a number of them to this day. And so I think, you know, having those connections even carry you through like social media and stuff like that is really, um, really helped me. But my dad was actually like very instrumental you know, cause like when I'd have like self doubt, I would call him and I'm like, Hey, dad, like I need a little pep talk here, you know? And so, you know, when I was having those moments of self doubt and not sure if I could do this and all that other stuff, it was kind of like, he would like walk me through like, okay, you know, what we would go back to your why and your purpose, you know? And he's like, okay, you need to like, hold on and just see the bigger picture here. And I think that really helped to always come back to my why and what I'm doing this for. Excellent. Being as specific as possible, were there any specific tasks that you took on, whether it was journaling, gratitude, uh, vision boarding, anything like that, that helped walk you through some of those struggle times outside of conversation with your dad? Yeah. So I actually started like a love note or like a kind note file. So anytime somebody would like send me any like words of appreciation or like, thank you, I would screenshot it and I have them all saved. And so I have like four years worth of stuff saved. So anytime I'm like, am I impacting people? Am I really helping people? You know, I just go back and read that. And that's huge for me too. I'm also big. I have like a gratitude journal. I do meditation and big on journaling. So I kind of did all of that as well. So I think there's like the woo and then there's the work. So I tried to balance the two, you know, the woo and the work. Yeah. Yes, I love that. I've never heard that before, but I'm not as much in the woo end, so I don't know it. Well. 
<laughs> Mike, anything to add on in this area? This is this is your strength area. Without oh, a doubt. I'm, I'm loving this. The the kind note file is amazing. So I mean, that's incredible. I have I've heard of a few other people doing that. I need to implement it. I don't know why I haven't because it sounds amazing. Um, the piece that jumped out for me, for, for those listening, I feel like you gave us kind of the, the recipe of success in that you were doing the work. You said like, let's just do it. You were very good at your job um, and your role, but you were receptive to opportunities. So when that speaking opportunity came up, despite being nervous and despite being uncomfortable, you said yes to it. And then in stepping into that, you said that set your soul on fire. And when I hear that, I mean, that is the recipe that I hear, uh, like, quote, unquote, like really successful people is they're putting in the effort, they're putting in the work, open to opportunities, they don't know when it's going to come or even what form it's going to come in. But when it does come, they say yes, and then they just catapult to the next level. Um, so I was smiling all through that. That's such a cool story. Thank you. <laughs> impact. Let's talk impact. Even when I started looking at your website, Nicole, and you mentioned this earlier, is how do you help people at the different levels that they're at? Mm-hmm. I ask as an operations director, owner, how would Nicole help me at the clinic level, knowing that inventory, depending on the clinic you're at, can look drastically, dramatically different based on the type of clinic it is, small, mixed, hybrid, large, or even within a GP practice, small animal, depending on the structure of that clinic, the experience and or the care factor. How do you take all that individuality that exists in veterinary medicine and wrap it together in a product um, platform that can provide impact to these clinics and support? How do you do that? that That's a great question. So I think even though there are so many different types of clinics, so many different types of situations, at the very core and very foundation, there are these inventory principles that are they aren't really, they're not, they don't waver very much, right? But how you apply them to your unique practice, that's where it really comes in. And so that's what I really try to teach people. You know, of course, I have one-on-one consulting where I help them, we like attack their very specific, unique inventory system. But when it comes to the courses that I have or the Veterinary Inventory Strategy Network Platinum Group, that's where I teach people like, like, here's the foundation, here is the guidelines and my recommendations. And then I teach them, how do you actually apply that to your unique practice? What does that look like? And so a lot of times it's like with these probing questions, right? How can we make this fit for you? How do we set this system up so that when you are short staffed or you want to go on vacation, the wheels don't come off the bus, you know? So I think it's really becoming, having these systems and strategies, fitting them to your unique practice, and then also teaching them how to be resilient with it to say, it doesn't have, it's not static, right? And it's always changing and evolving and we're being curious and we're trying stuff. And so I think it's not only a little like strategic work, but it's also some mindset work as well. Okay. So if you're working on a one-on-one basis or within your platinum group, what would be examples of some of those probing questions that you ask? I want to get into the details here because I know there's going to be veterinary owners listening to this and going, that sounds all great and dandy, but what does that mean? Right, right. What, what do these look like? So like one of the very core principles of managing inventory is what's called reorder points. <laughs> And so that tells me, so that looks at kind of demand forecasting, right? So I'm kind of going to get a little go there. thick here for yep. a second. So demand forecasting is basically where we take historic sales or usage data to predict what we're going to use in the future. So it sounds kind of a lot more scary than it actually is, but it's basically looking at your previous usage or purchase history and forecasting for the future. So it says, okay, last January I used... 700 products or 700 tablets of something. And so this 
January, I'm going to assume that I'm probably going to use that same 700. And so that's kind of how we start. And so then we have reorder points. And so reorder points is basically a flag that tells us when we've reached a particular level of an item. And I've kind of put into three different categories, reorder points, right? So we have physical reorder points, electronic, and manual. So physical reorder points are like the reorder tags, reorder bins. Electronic is ones in your practice management system. Maybe you have a dispensing cabinet. And then manual reorder points are like checklists. So using this concept of reorder points, it's flexible to your unique practice. So I'm like, okay, are you a really technologically inclined practice? Do you feel comfortable using your practice management system? You know, can you, you know, kind of routinely monitor the upkeep of that? Or is reorder tags going to be better? Is your team going to help you with that reorder tag implementation and making sure those are going to happen? Do you have the space for essential storage? Are you able to use a two bin system and, you know, use color coded bins? Like, is that going to work for you? So it's just kind of like thinking about what your practice culture is like, and then looking at these systems and thinking, okay, what is going to work the best for me? And kind of picking those things that your team will really excel at. So I think knowing your team, knowing your culture is really helpful kind of in this questioning process. And how long do you feel it takes in that questioning process to really get to the core? Because there's always issues in inventory management, no matter what practice I've ever walked into, even one mm-hmm. that's really well run. How long does it take to get to the core root of issues and, and then really start to move forward? that's a good question. It kind of depends on how long it's kind of been sideways for, you know, if you've had an inventory system that's been sideways for like a decade, it's probably going to take some digging and some probing. Um, But if it's you're a newer practice, it's not going to take as long. Sometimes it can take, you know, and really honestly, I recommend some kind of professional help to get help you get to the root of the problem, you know, whether it's me, whether it's somebody else, but they can make that process and easily identify it, right? Because I have literally worked with hundreds of inventory systems. So I can literally look at two reports and I'm like, well, here it is, here it is, and here it is, right? And so to kind of like s- struggle with that by yourself, it could take a while, you know? So if you have somebody, if you're like a part of a practice management group or, you know, the the Veterinary Inventory Strategy Network, I have a free tier. There's like a lot of resources out there if you aren't like comfortable um, or don't necessarily want to hire professional help. But I think that can make that process so much easier and faster. Okay. For uh, one more mic. Yeah, for somebody that uh, is contemplating and and looking at their P and Ls, and we just had a recent episode on P and Ls and IBITDA and how important cost of goods, cost of sales is to your overall profitability within a practice. How does someone that's in the early stages of their their um, veterinary ownership career and or their responsibilities within inventory management? go ahead because this makes such a key factor. Do you look at P&Ls with your owners? Do you look at what cost of goods are coming in at and then therefore take it compared to some uh, set points that you have? Yes. So I love to dig into the cost because like you mentioned, it's such a huge factor. And so I, when I'm working with a client, I like to not only look at your cost of goods, cost of sales as a whole, but I also like to break down each individual product. And I like to look at their profit margins and their market percents so that I can not only look at their cost of goods, um, you know, as a whole, but also like nitty gritty and be like, actually, because there's been a number of times where I found that an item is priced lower than it costs. So that's, I mean, I probably find at least one instance of that with every client that I work with. And sometimes it's multiple, multiple, multiple. I mean, I've had clients make up the cost of my services before I've even left. So, you know, it's just, 
And I also think it's like looking at it holistically, right? Do you have too much inventory on hand? Or do you have a lot of slow moving products on the shelf? How are your profit margins? Do you have a standard system for markups and prescription fees and all that other stuff? So I think there's a lot of factors that go into it, right? Do you have a ton of like accounts just sitting open, you know, that they haven't paid their bill? So, you know, there's so much to look at, but I think it's so important because you know, just shifting your cost of goods down by a couple percentage of points can often literally save your practice hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, you know, with not a lot of adjustments. Oh, speaking to the choir. I love it. <laughs> uh, my, my soul's lighting up. <laughs> Mike, I cut you off before that. I'm sorry. No, I, I was going to ask, um, you know, what would be the number one thing in your experience of all the practices you've been in the number one, uh, like common problem that, you know, every practice or seems to be making or an error they're making that you come in and you're like, ah, here it is. Fix this. You know, what, what seems to rise to the top of your mind there? Definitely having way too many products on the shelf. Like that is above and beyond just having way too much. You know, they have like five or six flea and tick preventions. You know, there's like the full cases of all the sizes. You know, there's like 60,000 skews of food. You know, there's the seedy fish and the ocean fish and the vegetable and the pet. You know, you can go on for days. So I think that's by far the biggest one. And really not understanding at a core level how much you're actually using or selling of that product. And it's kind of in this scarcity mindset of, oh, I don't want to run out because like, ha, ah, right. There's going to be a busload of great Danes that comes tomorrow, you know, rather than like actually thinking about strategically to be like, wait a second, how much are we really selling of this? So I think that's kind of the biggest problem that I see pretty commonly across all practices. Mm -hmm. and, and sorry, one last comment. I don't know if there's a question in here or not is, as a veterinarian, and I know I'm I'm very guilty of this, is inventory management is a fairly thankless job. Yes. Because I it's not like I go and pat the inventory manager on the back and say, hey, good job. The medication I reached for was on the shelf. Mm -hmm. But if it's not there, I'm like, where the hell is the medication? Um, yeah. So I can see how the the balancing act and and maybe emotionally you would want <laughs> to over order. Mm -hmm. because you never want to run out. So it's, it's kind of a fine line, I guess. Yeah, that's such a good point is if there's any inventory managers out there, you are just I want to just tell you, you're doing an amazing job. And thank you for all that you do. <laughs> you know, and it's so funny, because I tell this to my people all the time. I'm like, hey, you're never going to get thanked if you if you have everything fully stocked, right? You're only going to hear about it when you don't. So, you know, it's like, we got to find that internal, um, we got to have a little internal strength, but then also, you know, thinking about, oh, we never want to run out of something. Of course, we never want to run out of our really important, valuable items. But if we have, you know, we kind of think about this as terms as like, if we have, if we never, ever, ever, ever run out of anything, then we likely also are probably purchasing way too much. So it's like, if you run out of something that's not super critical, you know, just like, meh, you know, that's not the end of the world because if you are overstocking all of your products, worrying that you're going to run out, you're probably overstocking items you probably very infrequently use or sell. So it's kind of like we want to balance, of course, have a balance, but then we also want to prioritize those items that have a really high value to our practice and really putting a lot of time, dedication, and focus into those big movers and shakers. Turning course a little bit, Nicole, 2021, I find from an inventory standpoint, we're in a little bit of a turning point here. We have the Chewies of the world, Amazons. They're making a big inroad into the veterinary space. What would you say to those clinics from an inventory perspective that are um, maybe holding on a little too tight to things that have already gone away from the in-clinic retail? How do we deal with that in 2021? Because there's profitability that is definitely being lost. Absolutely. So that's a great question. And <clears throat> so I think before we I dive into that, 
I don't want practices to just give away their entire inventory, right? Because a lot of times our inventory is actually a fairly good profit center for us. And so we have to think, okay, if I'm going to give away my inventory completely, I need to making up that revenue in some other capacity. So before you just kind of like send your inventory down the road because you don't want to deal with it, that's not the answer. But with that being said, I think it's really important to meet our clients where they're at. And so, so many clients are used to shopping in line and having things delivered and all that. And so having an in-clinic online pharmacy can be very helpful. There, I mean, I will say, you know, it's not the greatest situation, of course, to have a much smaller profit margin, but at the same time, we want to meet our clients where they are. So if somebody is searching for dog food at two o'clock in the morning, we want them to come to you and not go to Chewy because it's convenient. Because I'll tell you what, that is the biggest thing. Chewy makes it incredibly easy and convenient to do business with them. So we need to kind of be on that same level and think about okay, what do I need to do so that my clients are experiencing the same level of convenience, yet at the same time, the kind of bond, customer service, loyalty, you know, because if it's like, if we're convenient to our clients and they're loyal to us, I mean, that's like a win-win situation right there, you know? So it's like, how can we really elevate our loyalty, elevate our customer experience, elevate that convenience so that we don't become the blockbusters of the world. And so when we have a lot of products on their shelf, we want to think about those ones that are like, oh, we might use this two months down the road or and it's not emergency medication. So this is like retail items, one-offs but sending those to your online pharmacy. Cause I, there's one kind of experience that I really resonated with me was I was talking to this client and they're like, Oh, we can't compete with Chewy one of her pet meds. They're so much cheaper, all this other stuff. And I was like, okay, well let's look into this. So it turns out that their products were actually five to $10 cheaper than Chewy and 1-800-PET-MEDS without the rebates even. So the clients would get a way better deal going to this clinic to get him, but they weren't. And so it's like, okay, do your clients want the convenience? Are you giving them enough education? You know, so it's like really without just being like, oh, Chewy's taking all of our business away. We need to pump the brakes and say, okay, why, right? So I think that's really important. I got, I got to jump in, Johnny. These are, these are two huge points, in my opinion. Um, convenience is absolutely one of those things consumers will pay for. And you, you just said it, it was convenient, but they actually paid more, right? Like yes. they will pay for convenience. Think of, think of fast food, you know, like you drive through a drive through it's convenient. You're not going there because it's the best quality food. It's fast. Um, on the blockbuster Netflix thing, Great example. A lot of people, when they hear that example, think that Blockbuster dug like kind of didn't like dug their heels in and, and you know they were they had brick and mortar stores versus Netflix going online. What really was happening was Blockbuster knew they needed to be online and they were online, they didn't pivot fast enough. They were starting, but Netflix just ramped up and just gobbled them. So it, it's, it's more about, it's not that they were unaware that they needed to pivot. They were aware they just didn't move with speed. So I think that applies in the veterinary world. Most veterinary clinics are aware of all of these sort of technological advances, but not pivoting fast enough is, could be just as bad as not pivoting at all because your competitors are going to just outpace you tremendously. Absolutely. And I always bring up the point because people are like, oh, there's no revenue to be made in pharmacy. Yes, there is. Otherwise, Chewy and one hundred print meds would not be in existence. If there's not money to be made, there's not going to be competition. So it's like, how do we, I mean, we can never be Chewy. We can never be one hundred print meds. We don't want to be. But how do we make our experience with our clients exceptional so that we build loyalty, we build trust, we build that convenience, and we meet our clients where they're at? 
Excellent, Nicole. And we need to continue to strive to do that each and every day, because if we don't, somebody else is going to do it. And it is in Mike's stand and your stand. It's ours to lose. Yeah. Nobody and else. We don't want to. No, I don't know, nor, nor do we in, in, in Canada, we're a little bit different because our, our revenue as a retail percent, as a percent of revenue is quite a bit higher than in the U S and we don't want to lose that. It's, it's an important driver of revenue. Yep. Yeah. And I think this really brings up the important thought of pivoting, right? We don't want to completely change course, but it's like, how do we pivot and how do we adapt to make sure that our business models are agile? You know, because we can't use the phrase, oh, it's always been done this way. We can't have that in our toolbox. You know, we have to think, how can I pivot? How can I shift? Even with COVID, we saw how easy, well, not easily, but we saw how adaptable, adaptable, veterinary practices can be. It's like, we need to kind of think about how do we pivot and meet our clients where they're at, if that makes sense. Sure does. And uh, I think COVID's actually in, again, the, how hard it's been, but our conversion to curbside, all of these new protocols we've got in place, it's not an easy time in veterinary medicine. I am not Mm -hmm. saying that in the least, but it also shows how adaptive we can be. We do yes. have it within us, even though there's some holdouts and all the rest of it, we can make this change. And to me, that bodes well in the long term. Yep. Excellent. Well, we are already at that time. Um, as I thought this was going to go deep and could go even more deep and <laughs> uh, really, really happy to have you on board, but we need to switch it up. And now we get to switch it up to the impact round. And Nicole, our impact round is a number of short questions, which we will have you answer um, to any fashion that you'd like. So our first question, which I now think I know what's going to be the answer is, are you a cat or a dog person? I'm a dog person. I think we're leveling out, Mike. I think dogs are taking over. You have to watch this. True (laughs) or false? I knew I wanted to be an inventory manager and a Uh, I'm calling an entrepreneur since I was a kid. Entrepreneur, yes. I had a pet store. Me and my cousin imagined owning a pet store at like seven. Yes to entrepreneur, no to inventory manager. I had no idea that was even a thing. (laughs) Johnny, I got to jump in. Yeah, audible it. The, the, The number of credentials and letters behind your name, I have never seen this before ever in my life. Um, can you quickly like hammer those out for our listeners? Cause I don't even know what they all mean. Yeah. So my first, the first credential that I ever got was CSSGB and it's a certified six Sigma green belt. And so that looks at lean manufacturing, six Sigma processing, and it's all about being lean and efficient in business. Um, then I have the, um, compassion certified compassion fatigue professional, which, you know, because I work with so many veterinary professionals, I have a really large community. I wanted to become certified in compassion fatigue so that I can help point people in the right direction um, and provide any resources that I can and just be there for them. Um, And then the last one is the certified veterinary business leader. And that is a, um, I just finished up that course, I don't know, a couple months ago um, through the NAVC. Excellent. Congratulations. Yeah. And that's the first time I've heard any of those three as well. Thanks. (laughs) How would your friends describe what you do for a living? I don't think most people could, (laughs) Um, but I think, you know, sometimes people are like, Oh, you order stuff or like, Oh, you sell things to people. So I think, um, you know, people I think outside of that don't, it's kind of hard to understand what I do. What is your favorite hobby? Oh, um, swimming and snorkeling. I am at like my happiest when I am snorkeling in some tropical water and I'm viewing all the fishes. I could do it for hours and hours and hours and hours. Very cool. What in this world are you most grateful for? Oh, that is a good question. I think just like where I'm at, you know, like just the opportunities that 
that I've worked for and that I've said yes to and the people that I've met, it's just, I don't know. I think everything, the journey, I guess, as woo woo as that sounds. (laughs) Love it. Nicole, if people want to reach out to you, which I'm sure they're going to want to, what is the best way that they can reach out to you after this podcast airs? Yeah. So you can find, you can check out my website. It's vetlogic.co. It's really is not.com. You can find me at Instagram at veterinary care logistics. I actually also have a Pinterest. If you're big on Pinterest, it has a ton of design and organization and vet med inspiration. That's also at veterinary care logistics, or feel free to send me an email. My email is hello at vetlogic.co. And if you're interested in joining the Veterinary Inventory Strategy Network, that one is veterinaryisn.com. There we go. We will endeavor to have all of those on our (laughs) show notes. I think we just hit a new record. I like it. Lots of places to reach out. I've seen you on multiple platforms now. Really impressed what you're putting together here. A niche that is so important in veterinary medicine. Uh, Thanks for joining us today, Nicole. This has been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Mike, any final words of... No, this was fun. Thanks so much, Nicole. Um, yeah, I didn't think that a conversation about inventory could be fun, but I'm, <laughs> I'm pleasantly surprised here. This, this was fantastic. I tried. Got to make it interesting, right? <laughs> sure do. So Nicole, with all of our podcasts and our guests, the last word goes to you. What message do you want to leave for the veterinary community? I just want to say what an incredible year this has been I think so crazy and I just want to acknowledge like all the hard work and the dedication and the perseverance and just all the stuff that you've had to put up with and I just look at you in awe and amazement of all that you do in a given day and I just want to thank you and say how much you're appreciated not only by me but everyone basically in the world because you're amazing you're awesome so that's that Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to theveterinaryprojectpodcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.